Welcome to another episode of Unleashing the Future of Work. And today I am joined by my good buddy, Lucas Krause, who is the president of the Natural National Corporate Housing Association. And he is a natural corporate housing, I'm sorry, not association, which is a global multi-brand corporate housing company that provides fully furnished temporary housing throughout the United States, Canada, EMEA, APAC, and Latin America. And, you know, today, Lucas and I are going to be talking about leadership, you know, and probably even empathizing of some of the things that are going on in the world right now. But also, you know, what should leadership look like in the future of work? I'm really excited to have him on the show. He's a great friend. We've had great conversations before in the past, and I think this is going to be an awesome episode. With that said, let me bring him on. And please, if you're tuning in, let us know where you're tuning in from today. You know, shout out, shout, shout us out in the comments, show us some love. And we'll make sure to recognize you throughout our conversation. So, Lucas, hey, man. Hey, Tim. Thanks for having me. Thanks, man. Thanks for finding time. (laughs) So talk to me. How are you doing with everything going on in the world today, man? Yeah, doing as well as you can. I mean, it's a tough time, obviously, but there's so much going on. And, you know, you bring a heavy heart here that that so many people are impacted in so many different ways. Um, So, yeah, I'm trying to bring my best self and try to make the most of the opportunity that we have here. Uh, but I'd be lying if I was didn't acknowledge that it is just obviously a very tough time. Yeah, yeah. I would love for you to share a little bit more about your background, man, and you know how you got to doing the work that you do with National Corporate Housing, and you know what led to to this point where you're at now. Yeah. So I won't bore everyone because you know it's a very eclectic <laughs> experience. So I will do the Cliff Notes version of 20 years here and uh, in a very short window, but. Um, no, I, you know, I grew up in Midwest Chicago area and then uh, did my undergrad in Indiana University and had some internships uh, in the financial service and telecom and uh, graduated after September 11th, with, which was another tough job market and was really difficult uh, mm-hmm. to find jobs and uh, ended up working for AT&T. Uh, and uh, I did take a little brief hiatus from the, the work world and ended up playing professional baseball in the New York Mets organization. Yeah, the traditional route there, uh, but it was a great learning experience. And you and I have talked at length about uh, how that reshaped how I attacked kind of my career in management and got very intentional about developing my skills. So uh, once I washed out of baseball uh, and did, uh, I reentered the workforce and worked for the Capital Group for Quiznos, but had a whole new uh, kind of outlook and vigor on how I attacked yeah. my career and built a, a clear vision of what I wanted to accomplish. And, as I use the term intentional, and I met, I got very intentional about what I was doing and how I was developing my skills. And was really yeah. fortunate to go from relatively an entry level role to uh, leading you know, operational components for East half the country, which had almost 2,600 locations, and then even uh, you know operate leading operational efforts for international brand, which was really powerful. And then uh, left there in 08, started my own business, and. Uh, I, I learned from, I, you know, I was teaching thousands of people how to start a business and build yeah. it because it's franchising. And then when I did, I made all the same mistakes I told people not to. So, <laughs> uh, but, you live and you learn. <laughs> yeah, but a great experience. Got that built up and um, got to, you know, to maintenance mode. And then um, from there, ended up with real property management was uh, was kind of a turnaround opportunity. It was a franchise concept. And really got to learn some of those leadership skills that I had taken and, you know, not only grew from great mentors, but mistakes I made along the way. 
yeah. put those to practice. And it was a great success story. You know, we took an, an organization that had about 100 locations to over 330, um, managing, you know, 15,000 homes to over 60,000 yeah. uh, in a seven year window and had a lot of success there and got that business sold. And so just did that about two years ago to a private equity firm and got, you know, got fortunate lead, meeting with the, the ownership and uh, leadership of National Corporate Housing, which is the leader in, as you mentioned, furnished rentals. And uh, not so much as a turnaround, but really helping them build and scale, extremely successful at growing, but you know, reworking our infrastructure uh, from an IT and a support standpoint. And so in a lot of ways, it's a healthy kind of organizational kind of <laughs> turnaround of elements, but it's a great, healthy, growing organization. So testing me and taxing me in a whole different way. And uh, it's been a lot of fun because I see each of those stops yeah. as just rewarding because you take so many positives and negatives away and you learn and grow and become better. And I just believe mm -hmm. that, you know, that's the most important piece is to take something away from every experience. So hopefully yeah. that wasn't too long, but that was 20 years. In a short no, period. no, that's amazing. No, no. And, and I think it speaks to your, uh, you know, you had a quite a journey, right? Very dynamic in a sense, you know, and I kind of want to probe a little bit deeper and, you know, what are those experiences? Like what are three things about leadership that those experiences taught you? Because it seems as if you've been on turnaround projects, but then you've also been on projects where, you know, you have to do a transformation and you have to elevate, you have to build community, help others build businesses, as you mentioned, you know, so if you were to kind of like give three nuggets on, on what those experiences have taught you about leadership, what would they be? Yeah, I'd say early in my career and I had some very fortunate mentors to help me understand the soft and the emotional side. Yeah. Um, depending on which personality profiles, I'm very direct and want to get to it and just attack. <laughs> the understa understanding of how do you compel the heart not only just the mind when you're yeah. in uh, because you're like, no, I addressed the logical component. We should just do this and yeah. to understand that there is truly an emotional piece uh, in compelling those to really follow. Because if you, if you don't really get people to follow, you're just taking a hike, right? Is yeah. that the old adage? <laughs> um, the, the other side is really modeling uh, the right mm -hmm. behaviors and, and that commitment and I've always prided myself on doing that. And that's actually come easier because I don't mind rolling up my sleeves. I, you know, I grew up in the Midwest in that Midwest mentality. And so I've never done anything that I haven't asked any someone else to do. Yeah. So that was a great learning. But as I grew and took a part of, or started participating in larger organizations, that actual strength became a weakness. And I had to be better about elevating and delegating those items and still lead by example, and I'm not discounting that, but not going overboard and shouldering too much of the burden of responsibility. Because leaders, you know, I always prided myself on developing and talent and mm. taking those opportunities. But when I was very prideful of, hey, let me lead by example and do, I was also maybe limiting the number of opportunities that individuals had to learn and grow and take on that responsibility because I didn't share those as effectively and it showed as i grew with larger organizations and had more responsibility um there's only so much i could get done and then i realized that i was compromising my effectiveness but i also was robbing individuals of, of, of additional opportunities to learn and grow so it's funny how a strength became also a weakness at one time 
Yeah, no, I love and I love what you mean about modeling. I think that's actually one of the most key things I've I've learned and picked up on as a leader is you want to model the future or the the type of leadership you want to see within your organization and outside of your organization because if you don't show it, you know, people aren't going to understand what what's the standard and you know, how do they operate around the standard even above the standard. Yeah, and and, and, what, and you have to be very thoughtful about that and go into it knowing that as the leader in that modeling you you can't have bad days like everyone else <laughs> and, and if you truly are trying to lead because you're always on stage and yeah. it's so important that you go into it and maybe you had a very difficult meeting you're meeting with attorneys and you're dealing with whether it's you know a tough situation and then you're going yeah. to a call with a new hire or a call a feel-good call to pat a, a sales executive on the back about good things you're doing if you don't take that moment and come into it and go, okay, what am I trying to accomplish here? What's important that I convey and take that moment, you'll bring that negative interaction into it and you'll really compromise yourself. Like you might've been well intended and wanting to lead. However, if you don't take that beat, you really do impair your ability to deliver and model that out because you are the brand ambassador. You are the cheerleader and the leader. You are, you're the one bringing the optimism. Uh, yeah, that's so important, especially in times like this. You mm. know, I, I look and I talk with our sales executive, our sales team, uh, uh, encouraging them because they're doing great activity. They're strengthening their relationships with our clients, and I want to reward that. But guess what? In this time with you know an economic lockdown and the pandemic, they're not getting the same results, and so it's very easy for them to be discouraged. And of course, I'm discouraged to where we're at, but. I need to make sure I'm reinforcing that positivity and all that right effort. And if I don't do that, it just reinforces maybe some negativity that's going on in their own minds and feeling their efforts. So that's kind of a real example how just living it today. Yeah, no, that's so powerful. So I want to show love to our current listeners and please, what are your thoughts on effective leadership or what are some of the skills and practices you've learned and that you bring with you when it comes to leading? So shout out to Omo Wunmi who is tuning in and she is tuning in from Nigeria, I believe. Great. Let us know. Olubi, who's tuning in from Dallas, Texas. What's up, man? Let us know where you're tuning in. We're going to shout you out and show you love. And if you have any questions for Lucas as we continue to talk, let us know. We'll definitely make sure to probe and have a discussion with you. So, Lucas, man, I want to talk to you. I want to have you talk a little bit more about the future of work, right? Our favorite topic. It's now. It's present. And I think it's constantly being molded. I think what we've seen you know, recently is that there is a lot of economic turmoil, as you mentioned, millions of people have been furloughed. You know, there's, I believe, what, 45 million jobs have been lost. Yeah, so I think the yeah, most recent numbers I saw, and, and honestly, I think you're going to see it grow even a little more here as the PPP kind of ends for those that yeah. first round and, and things slowly open up that we may not be at the bottom quite yet, which is scary. Yeah, yeah. So I want to I want to kind of get your thoughts. You know, where do you see things going in terms of what the workplace will look like in the future? You know, we are currently seeing that everyone is embracing remote work. What about you all at you know National National Corporate House? Are you all embracing as well? What are your thoughts on this? Embracing, yes. Uh, getting exhausted by yes. Uh, <laughs> Zoom is a four-letter word, um, not only technically but also you know, figuratively. Um, uh, because it just is. And so it's interesting because you can be productive in a lot more ways, but it presents different challenges and it's a different True. dynamic. 
Uh, and so you have to adjust. Uh, individuals like myself and, you know, you talk through the team, how do you find that variety and how do you find that what those natural breaks to get clarity and to think yeah. rest in, because it's really easy to just, you know, I, I have, we have, and it's me and my wife in the house. So we have the office up here in, in the basement downstairs. And so we just take turns on kind of switching who uses the workspace, but there'll be times I'm like, wait, it was, you know, cause it was snowing once in Denver and I, I didn't come up till the evening. I'm like, it was snowing all day. I didn't even come up for air. And so you can't <laughs> so much, but you know, kind of tying back to your question and kind of where things go. I do think this is going to change things uh, in a lot of ways where there is comfort. You realize maybe you don't need to have some of those face-to-face -face and travel as much. Um, technology has moved forward. I think as you look at traditional office spaces and those expenses, I think folks are, are questioning how much do I need? Now, there, there will be traditional office spaces, but I've tried to read and study up and, and talk to those in my network, other leaders, and people are really rethinking how much space is really necessary. Yeah. And in a lot of ways, I think maybe we have accelerated this natural trend of getting more comfortable from working remotely in different areas. And we might have fast forwarded two, three, five years because of just necessity. Uh, so yeah. I do think that that there will be a little more comfort and understanding that you can be productive because businesses have been and obviously not maybe productive from other reasons, but the output of individuals who are working from home and under some challenging situations, because this is not just normal working from home. These are schools shut down and you have individuals you have to empathize with yeah. who are juggling, teaching, picking up a whole nother responsibility, helping, you know, the teaching plans with their children. And so, the fact that, you know, I'd say a lot of people across America, it's, it's something to be very proud of. We're productive under some very challenging circumstances. Amen, brother. Amen. I agree with that 100 percent. And I think, you know, and I think it's these same circumstances that, that have caused caused the revolts and, the you know, a lot of the tension that we're seeing right now. Um, as a society, you know, it's it's almost as if, you know, when when everyone's forced to stay home and, you know, there's this lack of motivation in economic activity, people are going to be upset and they're going to want more. And, you know, then the debts of, you know, uh, the continued debts of black lives also adds to that dimension. And, you know, I am hoping right, that we are learning from this as we see it unfold and we're actually trying to build something better. Yes. And I mean, you hit, I mean, this, it, it's obviously two things and, um, you know, this pandemic and being locked down is one element yeah. and, you know, the, I'd say the tragic and senseless death uh, of black lives and, you know, disproportionately yeah. um, is there's a real issue. And, you know, it's, it's, it's sad that we're in this place at this time time of day. And, and I'm not pretending as, you know, as a white male to have a true understanding, but I can appreciate the tragic elements in that, there's injustice and there's you know, your racism still prevalent in a lot of areas. It's not just Minneapolis and you can understand. And again, I can't fully appreciate, but why there is outrage and anger because we have not come as far as a, as a society as yeah. all would help for equality. And so you get um, what's going on and just really hope that we can move forward. And, I, and that's where I try to challenge it, you know, from my vantage point, not to be a passive observer. How can I help? Mm. really trying to listen and learn um, from those I really value and trust of how can we help them move this forward? Cause it is important. And I know that's not where we're trying to go, but just since you opened up the topic, just figured I should. Yeah. Acknowledge that. No, 
No, powerful acknowledgement, man. You know, so you know, let's let's talk a little bit about the skills necessary to thrive in the future of work, man. Right? Because one of the things that we're doing with Guide is we're we're really trying to help people who are in the workforce gain those skills that are necessary to success on the job or beyond the job. You know, and I want to get your thoughts, man. You know, as a leader who's led amazing teams, distributed remote teams, you know, what have been the skills that you put to the table so you can effectively lead these teams? Well, it, it really requires a lot of versatility and being very well rounded yeah. in a lot of ways. Of and you know, as you and I have talked about about uh, having a roadmap on what you want to do and what your role requires. And I aspired to, to get to leadership roles. And as I met with mentors and interviewed them, of you know, what does it take to be successful at all? Was you know, your presentation skills, your interpersonal, your ways to persuade. You're also being well versed in all disciplines of the business, so that mm. you can help. Now you don't have to be have a, a great depth in each area, but a well-rounded understanding and respect, so that you can ask, you know, the the important questions to understand, and you can be a leader and impact broadly. Mm. Um, that that's really important. So that's when I when I say versatility is that you almost have to be not an expert in any one particular area, but you have to have an appreciation and a basic understanding of a very wide range uh, of aspects of the business. And you need to be able to jump through the financials, look through them through them critically, and then get on a call with the sales team and understand what challenges they're going through and then talk to, you know, shift gears and meet with your operational team and understand maybe why they're trying to implement <laughs> different technology. And that can just be your morning. And yeah. so it does. <laughs> That's true. And so, you know, as you ask that question, I think it's it's kind of, you know, they say dress for the job you want, but it's also prepare for the job you want. Mm. Get a better understanding of what skills are necessary and start to develop it and yeah. round those skills out so that you can be successful. And I know that's a lot of what you, you know, obviously you, you preach and teach, right? Uh, yeah, yeah, I value quite a bit is, is being very thoughtful where you dedicate your time and develop your skills so that. You can set yourself up for for success. Yeah, you know, shout out to Sonia who's tuning in and she's listening as she's driving, so she doesn't want us to call on her. <laughs> and shout out to Edgar as well, uh, who is saying this is a great talk. You know, I, I want to ask you, Lucas. You know, at what moment in your career, you know, did you find mentorship to be really crucial to your success? Uh, minute one, I uh, say in career 2.0 after I left baseball and re-entered the workforce. Um, because I, 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 and I look at it two different ways because I, you know, I looked at it, I came from a, a top flight business school. I had multiple internships and I don't think I had the right humility that first time mm. uh, when I went into it and I just, I thought I knew a lot and then it very quickly started to realize I didn't know a lot. And to me, mentorship is something you need to invest in. You need to come into it because they're investing time in you. You need mm. to be prepared and deliver value to them, but also be very respectful of that their time. And so then after baseball, when I came back in, I, I had a plan and I wanted to attack it. And I came into it with more of a sponge mentality of I want to learn and grow and it changed. And mm. so I, I sought out people that I really valued their skills and what I could learn from. them. And it's funny, I, I, I talked with a, a group of sales executives here a few weeks ago and they asked this question about mentoring and how it evolved. Because mm. at first it was very, I'll say certain skills of like, okay, you're a great presenter. How can I learn from you? Well, now as I learn and grow, I seek out even broader than just business of people I really respect who, 
you know, have different talents or a great worldview, you know, and I really try to round that out to be a better person and seek those individuals out to help me grow outside of even the business world. So just be a better human, better yeah. husband, better just friend. And so um, I, I, I feel really appreciative that I've learned and grown from some amazing people. And I, I still cultivate those relationships and invest in them, but um, it's expanded outside mm -hmm. of the business sphere. And uh, to me, that's great. That's powerful. And I love your point about being well-rounded when it comes to mentorship, because I think a lot of people see mentorship as being one way, one dimensional, but you can also teach your mentor, but also you can have mentors slash sponsors to help you with different areas of your life. Of course. And, and you nailed that. It, it, it is a symbiotic relationship and yeah. you can invest into it. And especially when you're the mentee early in that, you're going to have to work a lot harder than them and invest in you know, it's taking them out to, you know, they may not have as much time taking them out to lunches, engaging in times where you can, can get that time. But as I've gone through it, it's, I've always been there to help. And what can I do and ask that question? And you'd be surprised because maybe as you're young and you're, you have a mentor who's older, they may have tech question, you know, questions, <laughs> questions with their kids, something you can relate with. And so bring value wherever you can to help mm. because they're helping you and they're investing in you. Mm, powerful, powerful, man. That's so powerful. I love that. I love that so much. So, you know, Lucas, I would love for you to share for someone who's struggling to find a sponsor in their career right now, someone that can help elevate them. You know, what do you recommend them to do? Well, I think it should be in line with where, first off, seek out what you're trying to do and how mm -hmm. that individual person. So be very focused because a lot of times I've seen it and had people ask and they go, hey, will you be my mentor? What do you want me to help you with? <laughs> right. I might not be good at that. I might be able to recommend someone who's better because, you know, there. So I think having a clear picture of why I'm engaging in this conversation and a purpose, it's, you know, is, is so important uh, because then I can help. The other is it also helps you and go, you know, I could go, Tim, uh, you know what? You're just so charismatic. You have a great way of presenting. I can use flattery to my favor of I really admire <laughs> those qualities about you. And I'd love to learn on how you developed and harnessed those skills. Would, would you be willing to spend some time with me and maybe grab coffee or go take, you know, go out to lunch so that I could take away some, you know, learn from you and grow. And obviously I see this as a two way street. How could I help you? Obviously if there's anything on your mind or anything I can do, I may not be in the same position of strength and, and developed in my career, yeah. as you, but this is a great chance for me to learn from you. And would you be willing to do that maybe once a month or once a quarter? That's it. That's it. That's the ask. I love it. <laughs> you just gave our community an, uh, an amazing template. I absolutely love that. That's over. It sounds as if you've used that before too. <laughs> well, I, I used to, yeah, quite a bit for a while there. And, and then now it's, I coach it back. I'm like, here's how you could ask me. <laughs> <laughs> so powerful, man. So Lucas, you know, I would love for you to share a little bit about some of the things that, you know, you all are doing right now to, you know, create the culture within your company and, and really sustain during these times. Um, yeah. It's, it's really interesting because, you know, it's a great culture and I have to applaud, you know, Tom Atchison is the founder and, and CEO who started this and a great leadership team and a great, you know, some chief people officer, uh, Mr. Gregorick. Uh, and some individuals there have been very intentional about their culture. So what I came into and what I was drawn to national was a very people-centric organization. Mm. And so um, what's been great about this is how has it evolved? 
Um, you know, we have a lot of strong core values about doing the right thing. People matter. Um, you know, so, you know, we're driven to succeed. And so these things guide us as an organization. Yeah. But in this time, we've had to evolve. How does that fit in this new reality? Mm. And so we've been more proactive about communicating and engaging. Uh, we have a, a diversity and inclusion, you know, committee. And we're trying to get them more active, especially in this time. How do we create this dialogue and have some of these things that are uncomfortable? Because yeah. as, you, you know, as we talk about those topics, a lot of times people will push away because it is challenging and afraid to say the wrong thing and mm. try to create a safe space where it's okay to have an open dialogue and that everyone's coming here about growing and understanding. Um, so we're trying to invest in really putting that diversity and inclusion group committee more in the forefront. But I'm even being more active, but just with I'm doing weekly videos to, you know, to the yeah, I used to do them every few weeks to the whole company, but I record them weekly or and then we'll sometimes do live for interactive Q&A. We'll do virtual meet and greets or happy hours. We're really trying to make as many personal touches to create that connectivity while everyone's kind of isolated into their situation. Yeah. And so it's really more of not changing who we are and our identity of our core values. It's evolving them to adapt to this situation and the constraints and challenges that we're facing. Yeah. And so we're at our, at, the, at our heart, we're still the same organization and value the same things. They're just manifesting in different ways, given the, the new environment. I love that. I, I think I, I love how you, you're mentioning that you all are adapting to the times, to the context, because I think so many organizations they're failing to do that and it's affecting them in the public eye. It's causing them to go bankrupt or lose brand equity, as I like to call it. But, you know, I think fundamentally every organization can keep their culture, keep their values. But how are you thinking about it in a time where, you know, you do have to stand up for what is right. You have to choose a side. I think now more than ever, business does have to you don't have to be political, but you have to have principles. Um, and, you know, the successful organizations like yours the ones who are very principled in their thinking understand that principles don't change, but how you embrace them, how you adapt them, communicate them and mm -hmm. rally everyone around them probably have to over time. Oh, very much so. And I think you're seeing a shift and it's, you know, the byproduct of some of the cultural changes here. Again, we have a long way to go, I think as a, as a country and as yeah. a society, but you're seeing companies being more rewarded for thinking globally and thinking about sustainability and some of that evolution is, is occurring. I mean, I know, I believe we're in the early stages of that being rewarded yeah. in ways. And it is being rewarded you know, as people vote with their wallets, but uh, love to see that continue and be even more prevalent as we evaluate you know, our contribution mm. globally and what we do to really move us forward. Yeah, I love that, Lucas. Thank you so much. So if you've just tuned in or just joined, I am talking to Lucas Krauss, who is the president, uh, president of National Corporate Housing. Phenomenal, phenomenal leader. And we've been talking about leadership, mentorship, and how organizations can adapt during these times. Lucas, man, I would love for you to, you know, let us know what is one thing our community can do as we cap off um, so they can become a better leader for tomorrow, man. I think it's important to know who you are and what's important mm -hmm. to you. Um, and when it's, you know, because it starts from the inside out, uh, because then you can truly be your authentic self. Uh, and when that comes across, that's what people want to get behind with leaders. Because um, you can say all the right things and have all the hollow sentiments. <laughs> all done, 
No, it, it, it's, it's true. true, as you know. And it, if it's if it's not truly authentic, you're not going to have the passion. You're going to tire out. But people are also going to see it. And so it, it is. Be you know introspective and really evaluate what is important to you, and and really latch onto that and use those as your guiding force. Because if it, if you start there, you know then you can kind of from the outside or from the inside out really lead in. The Love it. Love it. Love it. Love it. Love it. So can the people connect with you on LinkedIn or Twitter? Of course. Oh, yeah. <laughs> well, and, and Tim, you and I know this, you know, and you know this. And so just for, for everyone else, I'm really passionate about this professional yeah. development. That's kind of how we linked up that we have that shared passion is, as you know, we've noted that you know, I wrote a book about you know, treating yourself like a business and how to manage your, your career, like a high functioning business. I love these discussions and I, I engage in a lot of mentor sessions. And so, I always offer it up. If folks who do have an interest in how I can help, please take advantage because it is something I do enjoy and I am passionate about. So Love I, and I'm make sure to get the book. And the book is still on Amazon, correct? It is. Yeah, the business of you. The business of you, and I'll make sure to drop a link in the comments for you all. Lucas, thank you so much for joining us on today's episode, man. We should have you for a future episode if you're interested. Love to. I'd love to. And it's just an excuse for me to catch up, anyways, because we always have fun. <laughs> I love it. Thank you so much, brother. I'll talk to you soon. Uh, thank you. Be good. Say <laughs> you too, man. All right. Thank you all so much for tuning in. In a few minutes, I'm going to take a pause and a break, but we will have the amazing Allison Brom, who is an investor with one of the top firms in the world investing in the future of work. I'm really excited to have her on the show. She's brilliant in what she does. She has an amazing blog where she writes about what we are currently experiencing right now in a remote first distributed world. And I'm going to be talking to her a little bit about what's going on in the world, leadership, as well as what does that look like in the future of work and how companies can start thinking about equity from the ground up as they create their culture. So I will take a little pause and, and I will come back soon. I hope you all are well. Talk to you all in a few. All right, y'all.
Welcome back to Unleashing the Future of Work, a guide podcast. So our next guest is going to be the amazing Allison Baum, who is a general partner at, I hope I'm saying this right, <laughs> Semper Virens, which is a strategic early stage fund focused on the future of work. They invest in workplace technology, health tech, and fintech, anything related to how people will work, live, and make money in the future, which is fantastic. And she's been really prolific. I've actually followed her work for quite some time and her blog on Medium and talking about what the future of work is going to look like and what are some of the changes leaders and companies used to prepare for. And in the fact, we're kind of seeing it take fold now, but it isn't all it isn't all the way there yet. And we're going to talk a little bit about that. And I think, you know, you know, talk also a little bit more about how can organizations create more equity in the workplace moving forward as well. So I'm really excited to dive deep with her and have her share a little bit more about herself. Allison, welcome to the show. Hi, good to be here. <laughs> How are you holding up during these times? Wow, I mean, I don't even know what to say. What an incredible time yeah. to be alive yeah. and to be in this space and to be witnessing the change that's happening right now. I just, I'm like terrified, but energized. It's a, yeah. it's a all the feels. <laughs> yeah, no, it's true. It's true. It's true. You know, I'd love for you to share a little bit about how long you've been doing the work and you've been in the space of venture capital. Yeah. I mean, it's funny because I never planned on getting into venture and I really didn't even know what it was until frankly a year or two <laughs> into <laughs> being part of it. But for me, venture capital is really just a means to an end around mm this mission of changing the future of work. Um, and I've been at this kind of intersection of finance, technology, and the future of work really since uh, for a decade now. Um, I started my career on Wall Street and was trading in the public markets and through the financial crisis saw that when times are tough, mm. uh, jobs get eliminated. <laughs> And so there were a lot of really high value jobs being automated all around me, people that were making millions of dollars a year um, the year before and being replaced by algorithms. And so I figured this was going to be a pretty big problem uh, mm. going forward. So ended up joining what was at the time an early stage company called General Assembly, which was really committed to um, empowering people with the skills they need to pursue work that they love. Um, and that meant empowering people with technology skills. So we worked uh, with individuals as well as employers to reskill and upskill um, people in, in web development, digital marketing, user experience design, one of the building blocks of the digital economy. And I moved to Asia and launched our business out there and just saw that um, there are so many exciting solutions to big global problems that were being mm -hmm. developed, particularly in the US and Europe, and that we could have an even bigger impact by bringing those solutions to markets where they weren't necessarily um, benefiting from the same kind of innovation ecosystems that we have here. And so that was when I established my first venture fund called Fresco Capital. We were focused on these same problems, education, future of work and healthcare. And we were investing primarily in the US and Europe um, and helping companies launch internationally. So um, that brought me to Japan, which was a huge adventure and um, in total made about 70 investments through that fund, wow. many of which have done quite well. Um, I helped about half of them expand internationally in some way uh, and then figured uh, through that process, I think just saw how 
much venture capital, although we're investing in the future, we're still very much living in the past as an industry. Mm. And a big mission for me was trying to transform venture capital itself. But, um, and I, I think we'll touch on this later when we talk about how we can bring more equity to the workplace in general. But I, I think it's hard to change something that you don't truly understand. And I, I mm. felt like the best way to understand the system and the fundamental kind of factors that shaped the way venture works today, I really needed to be here in the middle of it. So I moved to the Bay Area and joined a more traditional venture fund, uh, learned a lot that way. And then this is my my next go at it at Semperverance, building more of an ecosystem approach um, focused on these sectors. Yeah. And I think what I love about your background, too, is you have a global worldview about how the future of work is changing. You know, you've lived in Japan. Are there other locations that you've kind of been tracking and, and seeing some of the, the trends that are happening as well, aside from America? Absolutely. We've been very focused uh, globally for a long time now. And what was so interesting, I spent time in Hong Kong and saw the, the rise and challenges of that local ecosystem, saw China really take over the region. Um, saw a lot of opportunities in Southeast Asia as well as in Japan. And I think what's what's really interesting is that my experience with places outside of Silicon Valley has been that they all believe that in order to succeed, they need to replicate Silicon Valley. And mm. I truly believe that every culture, this is true you know, at a country level, an individual level, an organizational level, is unique and has something unique to offer. And so particularly when I was out in Asia, I was working with innovation ecosystems in like the Philippines, Southeast Asia, and in Japan, they were all asking, how can we be like Silicon Valley? And I think that's the wrong question. I think the yeah. question is, what do you have that's unique? And how can you leverage that for the benefit of the broader kind of ecosystem? So I think there's, there's a lot of valuable um, stuff out there. We just have to get people to see it. And I, I love that. That's a powerful perspective, too, because I, I think even when I read stuff about kind of the innovation that's happening in places in economies like Africa and specifically Nigeria and Ghana, you know, it's almost as if how can we replicate something overseas? But more importantly, well, how can you create a different ecosystem within your local area? And it, it's it's a powerful perspective because I think Silicon Valley is often seen as a beacon. And, you know, we both live in Silicon Valley. We, it's awesome. We love it. And, you know, there's things that are traditional about it and innovative about it. And just very interesting about it, but every locale is different. I really align on that. And I, I, I think the challenge now too, moving forward when it comes to the future working, just technology is that what are you doing if you're an ecosystem builder or if you're looking to be an entrepreneur, how are you thinking global, but also executing at a local level as well? Yeah, definitely. I mean, the the thing that blows my mind about Silicon Valley is that <laughs> And I think we're we're seeing this now, obviously, play out on a national stage. But mm -hmm. you know, when you have systems that have produced success, they reinforce themselves, and so mm -hmm. there's very little incentive to change. And yeah. so, while there's a lot that we can learn here, I think we're also, in a lot of ways, somewhat handicapped when it comes to building something different, because there's so many examples of how what we did before really worked well. Mm. So. I think especially now outside of Silicon Valley, there's such an incredible opportunity to build something truly different from the ground up. Yeah, true, true. So I want to ask you, you know, because one of the things you're really passionate about when it comes to the future of work is not just how people are going to work. It's how they live and make money. Right. Mm -hmm. And I think it, it really speaks to the that I think the, the humanity that we're going to start seeing in the future. Right. And right now we're seeing it where millions of people have been furloughed. 
you know, and there's economic riots and there's really low incentive for there's low incentive, low motivation, right? People are really struggling right now. Um, you know, what are the human rights issues that you believe we need to be addressing as we continue to build this future? It's a great question, and I'm so glad that you're asking about it and that we're thinking about it. I mean, the reason I'm so passionate about the future of work is because I do believe that our work is a critical part of who we are as humans. And so, you know, the only thing you do more than work over the course of your lifetime is sleep. So, <laughs> I, I which we love too. <laughs> right, which is great too. But I mean, so I think looking at work and the employer and jobs as a lens through which we can really affect changes in all aspects of people lives, people's lives is really important. Um, so, but in terms of human rights issues, I mean, look, I, I think we need to first eliminate systematic injustices that results um, from operating in a world of institutions that were built by the majority, right? Yeah. And like, I, I think, in a lot of cases, it's not any one person's fault, but they just couldn't have anticipated how these systems would play out over time. And so it's time that we change them and acknowledge mm -hmm. that. And so I think that's number one. You know, e providing equal access to opportunity is really important. But on top of that, we need to create cultures and systems that allow for people that are not part of the majority, whatever that means, whether it's racial or gender wise, sexuality anything else, I mean, we need to create cultures and systems that allow them to succeed. And mm. um, I mean, I am not African American, so I've never lived that experience. But being, uh, you know, post me too, I think there were a lot of opportunities in venture capital where all of a sudden there was this awareness that people didn't have women as part of their teams. And they were on this desperate hiring spree to bring women in. And I'm very closely connected to a lot of women that went through that process. And once you're in the door, you see very clearly that this is not a system that is that will allow you to succeed. Yeah. And so I think we really need to be committed to that. But I think that requires building new systems from the ground up because it's very yeah. hard to change things that have worked in the past. So I think those are um, you know, just a few of, of the issues there. but. I, and, and what I love, do you think this is kind of like an area where also there's opportunities to invest in and like things that tools and technology that help change these systems in a sense? Yes, absolutely. I think there's a lot of ways in which new infrastructure can support mm. change. But I also think that just investing in new systems, period. Um, yeah. So, I mean, I'm a big fan. I think, you know, Cheryl Sandberg had lean in and I'm happy for her that 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 was something that resonated at that time but today i think the mantra should be lean out i mean if mm. something is not built for you to succeed get the fuck out of there and start <laughs> something new yeah, yeah because you you won't change it mm. and it is a terrible time for the economy right now but we're also in a position where a lot of people don't have much to lose and so you might yeah. as well start something that will work for you in the future um so yeah that's a powerful. No, that's a powerful thought. That's a powerful thought. You know, what type of company do you believe will succeed in this future? Yeah, I mean, I believe that the future of work is five things: digital, distributed, mm. data-driven, and even more importantly, dynamic and diverse. So, I think the companies that will succeed in the future is it's completely dependent upon their relationship with change. And I keep going back to this idea of anti-fragility. 
um, yeah. which is a, a great book. Um, and he talks about this idea that a fragile organization breaks when it's faced with pressure. A resilient organization breaks and then figures out how to return itself to its previous state. But an anti-fragile organization actually thrives and grows from breaking. It becomes better on the other side of that. And you know, nobody could have anticipated that COVID um, would impact the world in the way that it has. It's a truly, truly black swan event. Yeah. Um, and I think we're seeing that only those that can adapt will survive. Mm. Um, but those that can adapt quickly and intelligently will win. And so I think in the future, you really have to be both diverse and dynamic to one, see these risks coming, and then two, figure out the right strategy to actually benefit from them as opposed to, um, you know, be ruined by them. Mm, that's such a powerful, and, and I love, and you're referring to Nasib Taleb, right? Yeah. Correct? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And his book, Entity Fragility. And he actually wrote and, Black Swan also. And Black Swan, <laughs> yeah. So, Which is a fan girl over here. <laughs> Super ironic. But, you know, I, I love and I think someone would also refer to that type of organization as an adaptive organization. And, mm -hmm. you know, I, I, it's it's interesting, right, because I think a lot when COVID-19 happened, a lot of organizations and I, I use Airbnb as my favorite example. I love how they've adapted to embracing online experiences. And that's because they're listening to their host. It may not be their core theme moving forward um, as a company, but they're like, okay, let's adapt. Let's think about how do we still add value? And even though travel is currently broken because no one can travel, let's do what, <laughs> let's see what we can do to serve our hosts and who knows what they're going to be doing in the future. But, you know, they thought in a, in a very optimistic Outlook and they pivoted so quick. And many companies did that, right? With their conferences and events. Microsoft did it all digital. Uh, Google was thinking about going digital and then they just canceled it. And I, it's it's interesting, right? Like, I think anti fragile organizations are going to be a, a really new thing moving forward. Definitely. I couldn't agree more. Yeah. So I want to talk to you a little bit about, you know, right now there's thousands of entrepreneurs. Before this, before COVID, I think entrepreneurship was really cool, is what someone would tell me. You know, what are the opportunities right now for entrepreneurs who want to build a new future? What are the areas in terms of technology, future of work that you think they can really latch on to? It is such an incredible time, I think, yeah. to do that. Um, just generally speaking, I think we're very focused on workplace technology, healthcare technology, and financial technology. And I believe more specifically, like I'm looking for some interesting opportunities in a few different areas. One is anything that enables uh, a flipped workplace or yeah. kind of a distributed by default is another way that I'm describing it today. But this idea that everyone is working on their own, um, but comes into an office only really to collaborate and work with other yeah. people. I think this hybrid model is really the only way forward. So any kind of tools that are um, enabling that new type of workflow, um, I'm really interested in, believe there's an interesting opportunity there. The second is, um, I mean, we saw this with the rise of Airbnb and Uber post financial crisis, but we're gonna continue to see a rise of contractors, project-based work, freelance work. So anything in that space, which is um, empowering and enabling people um, to do more contract-based work and project-based work will be really powerful. Um, so that's an incredible uh, place to be focused on. I think 
whether it's fortunate or unfortunate mm. in a time where there is economic stress, as mm. I saw at Goldman, companies are incredibly motivated to automate faster. And there's, <laughs> there are some estimates that, you know, 42% of the jobs that were eliminated as a result of COVID are never coming back. Mm. And so the way to benefit from that is by creating solutions that are automating workflows so that I think employers are more willing than ever to look at new ways of, um, of automating kind of what was done by hand before. Um, I'm also really interested in kind of the rise of, of a new generation of education platforms. I mean, mm. whether it's K through 12 or it's higher education or it's, um, you know, uh, business degrees or ongoing education. I mean, people are being forced to take their careers into their own hands. Yeah. And when you can't go to a campus in person and spend time there and build relationships, there um, is a lot of innovation necessary. And I think we've figured out how to take world-class content and bring that experience online. But the other two key pieces of education are, you know, the brand and the trust that that confers and the network that you build while you're there. And so if someone can figure out how to bring those into the digital realm as well, I think that would be um, a huge opportunity. You know, and last, we have some investments in the space already, but mental health has really gone mainstream and it's been an area that has been so underserved and um, you know, both systematic, like systemically in terms of how insurance treats reimbursement for mental health care, how employers treat mental health care as a benefit, um, but also just, you know, in terms of public perception. And I think what's happening right now is really elevating that that's a, that's a need. And, you know, the past, uh, the way that we worked in the past was very physical and therefore people yeah. suffered from a lot of ailments of the body. But in the future, the way that we're working is very digital and we're doing work with our minds. And therefore it's natural that there's this whole new kind of realm of mental health, which will be what plagues people more than the physical ailments of the past. And, and also, I mean, speaking to your point, the conditions in which we, people are working in, right? People are now working from home and having to take care of family and making sure that they're they're highly functional professionals as well. I want to show love to the people who are tuning in. Shout out to team Stephanie and Benjamin. Thank you all so much for being a part of our conversation and listening in. But, you know, outside, I agree with you 100%. I love how you talked a little bit about the continuous education model that could rise out of this current situation, because that's also something that you blog a lot about as well. You know, and, and this flipped, flipped workplace structure, you know, it's hybrid. The future of work is absolutely hybrid in a sense where you do not have to be in an office to be fully functional. And it's really going to be more so for collaborating. And do you have any thoughts on how physically the workplace may change in this new future? Because, you know, companies like Amazon and Microsoft, they have like thousands of buildings. You know, how are they going to like what, what, what's going to be like their message or their new work structure? And how do they transition when you're that big? Yeah, the relationship to physical space will be completely different. And yeah. I do believe that offices are necessary. Having a place mm -hmm. where people to convene and be creative and I think functioning in a purely distributed world, you see how much is certainly possible to get mm -hmm. done that way, but also where the real shortcomings are. I mean, um, you know, I joined a new team myself in April and getting up to speed and understanding everyone's context and priorities and building trust so that you can have difficult conversations, all of that really does have to happen in person. And so I think what will happen is existing physical spaces will be transformed away from desks and more toward 
showrooms, meeting mm-hmm. rooms, open spaces for collaboration, a place for people to convene as, a pl- as opposed to a, a place for people to be alone together, which is what offices have been in the past. And ultimately, I think that will result in a reduction of most companies' physical real estate. Mm. Um, but it might, in the, in the meantime, also result in a distribution of that physical real estate. So I think, um, you know, there was, a, there was a company, I believe it was Coinbase, when they announced that they were being, they were digital by default, which is essentially another word for a flip in my mind. Um, <laughs> they were saying that right now they have 10, you know, 10 floors in an office in San Francisco. And that over time, they plan on changing that into, you know, one floor in 10 offices in 10 cities. And so and I, think I think Shopify also said something uh, similar to that. They're digital by default as well. Exactly. I'm, I'm more of a fan of distributed by default because yeah. I think that it's this idea that like you can be in any place. Um, but Work from anywhere. <laughs> right. But there still is an in-person component that has to happen. Yeah. And, it, and it does fall on the employer to provide that space. Yeah. That's true. That's powerful. So shout out to Stella who's saying this is a great conversation as well. So let's talk on something that we you, we mentioned that we were going to touch on a little bit earlier. And I think it's super contextual for the times that we're living in right now uh, with everything going on with the riots. You know, what are your thoughts, two to three ways you think we can create more quality in the workplace moving forward? Um, because I think we are currently facing that economic tension of you know, due to the things that are happening in, in, in terms of in, in society and also in the workplace, in a sense where, you know, certain communities have been marginalized and feel as if they've been dis- disenfranchised, they don't feel as if there's equity, right? And diversity and equity inclusion has been such a thing for the last five years. You know, where do you see, whether it be technology or us even just as, as a community, as a movement of people creating that more equitable workplace structure moving forward? Yeah, I mean, I actually just read um, Kareem Abdul-Jabbar's op-ed in the LA Times, and I want to quote him because I think it's so powerful what he said, which is, racism in America is like dust in the air. It seems invisible, even if you're choking on it, until you let the sun in. Then you see it's everywhere. As long as we keep shining that light, we have a chance of cleaning it wherever it lands. But we have to stay vigilant because it's always still in the air. So... To me, in terms of creating lasting change, one, you can't change what you can't see. And Mm. a lot of systematic discrimination is invisible to those who passively benefit from it. And, you know, myself included, if you're part of the majority, you just have never experienced these things. And and so therefore, like, you can't see them. And so the only way to shine light on it is to have a diverse team and create a culture (laughs) where they can highlight inequities in a productive way. So I think making a commitment and, and opening up kind of especially senior level ranks to people um, from all over is like nothing will change if we don't do that. So that's number one. Um, and for new companies, that means having, you know, having a diverse team from day one. Mm. Um, and yeah. two, I think, look, like equality is not something that you pledge or you say. Yeah. It's something that you do. And I, I mean, I myself have struggled with, well, do you post something online? Do you want to say something? And you want to, I mean, I think it's important to to take a stand, but it's also like time will tell who was serious and who did it because they wanted to be retweeted or to, you know, yeah. not be one of the bad ones. Um, and so I think words are important, but actions are everything. And so bringing about fundamental change 
in your company or your organization or a system, it requires new processes. Mm. So it's not just about kind of bringing, uh, you know, some more diversity to your team. It's about how do you actually build an entirely new process for having conversations, for hiring, for assigning work, for promoting people. You know, it's that it's those processes that ensure that your actions are consistently move you toward a better future all the time, regardless of how you're feeling that day or what you can see or you can't. So, yeah. Um, I mean, that's pretty general, I know, but, um, you know, another piece that I've been thinking about a lot is as, as we, as we move to more um, toward a more flipped model, we actually really need to change the incentives for how you pay people Mm. and ultimately moving toward a more project-based kind of hiring and compensation plan, creating more results driven cultures where you're setting goals and holding people accountable to those goals. Um, I think those are examples of processes that we can change that will result in, you know, ongoing permanent equality. No, it's so powerful. I think to now in a more decentralized working world, distributed working world, you know, one of the things a, a good friend of mine has told me in the past is that people who are actually working remotely uh, are more likely to get passed up for promotions because they're not as close to maybe where a headquarters is, right? And I think, you know, if there's if we're going to start seeing a culture where a lot of people choose to work from anywhere, work from home, hopefully there are infrastructures and cultures that support that and don't make them feel as if it's the wrong thing to do. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. I mean, first of all, I hate the word remote and I'm going to start a campaign to get rid of it because, I mean, look it up in the dictionary. Remote means that you're far away, you're less important, you're somehow less than. So I think, first of all, like just reestablishing, and that's where the by default part of these models, digital Mm. by default, distributed by default, is so important because Mm. it changes this inherent hierarchy that we've had between HQ-centric folks and remote folks. Um, and I think it's really important to have a universal flipped model. You can't just mm. have it relevant for some people and not for others. And that's where I think Facebook is making a really big mistake around the way they're structuring. Oh, you're going to get, yeah, we're going to remain remote, but, um, you need to have certain levels on your reviews in order to be able to have that privilege. And we're going to cut your pay if you move to a different city. That is just absolutely the wrong approach to creating lasting change. Um, It's basically just making the announcement that you're gonna change, but then actually putting in place systems that only perpetuate what you've been doing before. So I think that's where I say, you know, I'm talking about new infrastructure and new processes, and that requires actually just starting clean and saying, you know, we're flipped, we're distributed by default, and then you don't have that, that, that inequality that we've been talking about. Yeah. So I want to show love to my great friend, William Tyrone Cunningham, who is amazing and lives in Seattle. Uh, He say, understand that this journey is for all of us to take. Hopefully the pressure correlates to diamonds. The why is for everyone. Thoughts on this, Allison? The why is for everyone? The why is for everyone. I I do not know exactly what the why is abbreviated for, but Hmm. I believe he's talking about the motivation for us to change and create a more equitable structure. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, I I think this, as I said, when we first started talking, I mean, what an incredible time to be alive and to be building the future. I am an optimist, but I am also a cynic. And I truly believe that people don't do what they should do. They do what they have to do. 
And yeah. so we've been having conversations for, I mean, decades, hundreds of years around equality and changing the way things work, but there was no reason for people to do things differently. And, you know, as a result of sort of, uh, you know, the protests and everything happening right now with George Floyd and, and the attention that is shining on racism in America um, and COVID becoming a permanent reality that we can't go back to the office in the same way that we used to. I mean, people have to change. There is no alternative if you want to survive. So this is a, a really unique time and we should all be participating in it um, and taking advantage of it because it's a really, really special moment. I love it. If you've been loving this live episode that I'm having with Allison, please share it to your network. There's someone that needs to watch this episode. Allison has been an amazing guest and shared so much in-depth information. So definitely share this and like it. Share it with your network, please, please, please. Allison, you know, where can people find out more of your work? Yeah, you can find me on Medium. I do a lot of writing there. You can find me on Twitter at Allison underscore bomb. Although I have to admit, I'm not a big fan of Twitter, uh, but sometimes I tweet uh, or, you know, follow me on LinkedIn and, and let's get in touch. If you're building something that, um, that I should know about, please reach out and I'd love to help however I can. Make sure to reach out if you're building anything to change the future. It is a wonderful time to be alive. Allison, thank you so much for being on the show today. And hopefully we should have you on in a future episode. Yeah, thanks for having me. This is really great and um, such, a, such an amazing conversation. So thank you. Thank you, Allison. Talk soon. <laughs> Bye. Bye. With that said, thank you so much for tuning in to today's episode of Unleashing the Future of Work, A Guy Podcast. Please continue to safely protest, stay safe, and do good and build something that you're passionate about. If you are interested in being on a future episode of Unleashing the Future of Work, A Guy Podcast, please reach out to us at utfow.com if you're interested in being a guest or sponsor. And more importantly, we are going to be launching our beta soon for Guide, the bite-sized skills training platform for remote teams. So check us out if you're interested in being one of the early creators that are a part of our creator community. We would love to have you. So definitely check us out and sign up for our early beta access program. All right, y'all. I hope you all are staying safe, healthy, and doing good and building what you're passionate about. I will talk to you soon. Peace and love.